Hello, welcome back to Out of Our Heads, a pop culture podcast from the minds of Joe Bordner and Nick Protopapis, king of the pterodactyls. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that was a pterodactyl noise. and I also never said that you were a pterodactyl. I said that you were king of the pterodactyls, Well, so to be clear. You know, if you're king of something, you can probably communicate with that thing, right? That's I mean, one, one would hope. That was like, it's not really an ideal like democratic situation. Uh, monarchy. Okay, if I was king of the salary, that means I'm in charge of salary, right? So I have to be able to tell salary what to do. Otherwise, what am I? Like, if the pterodactyls can't understand me, how am I going to tell them whose heads to cut off and who to who to you know track down in New York City and 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 pick up and and take back to my den in the Arctic? I'm really amazed by your your vision of pterodactyls. I really associate with them with the with the color purple, so I just imagine them as giant purple, um, well pterodactyls, um, and they they go around silently peeing on everyone that I dislike. So I I brought this up before uh, we started recording, but what do you think about the the hypothesis that uh, pterodactyls and probably all dinosaurs had feathers? Oh, I think that's pretty silly since uh, feathers decompose, so we wouldn't even know, would we? Like, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a, you know, a fair amount of evidence to suggest that these things are what? fairly bird-like. Who says? They're bird Okay, I guess. Yeah. It's like a like joke in, um, in Over the Garden Wall, where it's like, maybe they had ginormous human ears, and we just forgot. Because, <laughs> you know, bones in your ears. I'm not an expert on the science behind it, but ears, I believe, have cartilage in them, so they, they, they would maybe... No, the inside has bones, right? There's some bones on the inside of your ears, but the outside is just, like, stuff. That's why you can bend them all around. So that would just go. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm right. You might be right. Well, if they have feathers, then I'm also going to choose to believe that they have ginormous human ears. All right. (laughs) Isn't that fun? Nick, you you have a thing for me today? Uh, Joe, I do, and that thing is is love, actually, for once. Um, oh wow! Yeah, um, it's the show Love on Netflix. It it you've probably seen it because you know it came up under Netflix and you were like that looks dumb, and then didn't click it. That's what I did for two years, probably straight, um, maybe more, and uh, then I finally um, decided that I had nothing better to do and I I went to look for it. And it's uh, it's actually one of my favorite shows I've ever watched. So I was it shows shows what I know basically. Um, Joe, you know how sometimes, well, not sometimes, but once or twice we've talked about how, you know, movies, rom-coms in general, don't have a lot of time to develop a relationship, and, like, shows that do do relationships are, like, longer term, so they do, like, on-again, off-again stuff, and so, like, sure, yeah, yeah, all right, well, this show is all about a relationship, and that's all it's about, it's about a guy named, uh, Gus, who's, like, he's a geeky-looking guy, he's, uh, and he's nervous, I guess you know he's more complex than that, but that's the that's the basis. And uh, cool girl, alcoholic, troubled troubled alcoholic, uh, Mickey, who's the girl. Um, and you know you, you kind of get that from the, the title, like it's called Love. It's about and, you know it starts and it's about two people, um, and you get the idea that they're going to get together because it starts with them separate. Um, and it just it just slowly slowly tells a story about you know how they met each other, how they started a relationship, and it does that for three seasons, um, and it's. It's actually that, like, that's the focus of the show. So, like, you get to see pretty much every step of their relationship and, like, their dynamic. And then you also get to see them separately as, like, two different plot lines in, a, in an episode. Um, and you get sort of insights to what they're like alone and what they're like together. Uh, and overall, the whole show is just centered around their, uh, their, their growth as a couple. Hey, that's pretty cool. Uh, the the one thing I know about this is that it's uh it's created by Judd Apatow, who created Freaks and Geeks, which is one of my favorite shows. So I'm actually pretty interested by this. Yeah, um, it's like there's it's only a character focused show because there's nothing else going on. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's no plot because it's just characters in their lives. It's 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 just sort of my dream in terms of like what TV could be. Uh, you know how sometimes right, yeah, <laughs> like you know how like like character dynamics and like oh how is he friends with that person like gets cut off by like plot and like any other thing ever it's like oh yeah that was a cool little like scene but now he's got to go be spider-man you know like that (laughs) sure 
yeah, they just cut that out because it's it's just the it's just the romance. Um, I mean, it's a pretty funny show too, but it's it's just like very heavily focused on characters, and it has like probably the best character work I've seen in a while. Plus, side characters like side characters get an odd amount of focus in like different places. Um, there's a couple things I remember. One thing I remember is like this isn't really a side character, but there's one shot where Gus, the guy, they're on a date, um, and he gets up to like I don't know, go to the bathroom, let's say. And she's sitting there and it's an outside table and some skateboarders go by and there's just like an odd amount of focus on those two skateboarders and like what they're saying, like for two seconds. But it's like why they do that because like all the side characters get a ton of focus and they're they're super funny. Um, most everyone in the show is likable and like realistic also. Like a lot of comedies will have like over the top unrealistic characters, you know, for, for laughs. There is one or two of those here. Uh, but for the most part, like everyone feels very, very real. Um, and like, they're funny from, from real human traits. I don't know. It's a very real show, very human show and it's romantic and it's funny and it's well-developed relationships. So I recommend it to pretty much everyone. It's a great show. Nice. Yeah. I, I, I do intend to check it out at some point in the near future, I think. Yeah. There's not a lot, you know, else to say, like, it's, that's my pitch. Like, there's not a lot to spoil either. It's, you know, you should watch it. Yeah. Watch it. Watch yeah, I think I would too. Oh, the intro is really good too. That's another important fact. <laughs> it's like a little animation with like some rock, you know, guitar playing behind and it just spells out love. I don't know. It's really great. So speaking of, of intros, uh, my thing for you this, this week is uh, X-Men Evolution, which is a show with a fairly bad intro, but a, a generally good story. <laughs> It's this really like early two thousands like guitar synth thing, uh, and I just find it incredibly grating. I I, I skip past it every episode. Um, oh, I understand. I really hate the uh, the um the the friends intro. So I got really really good at like skipping the thirty seconds that it is perfectly. I can't stand that. <laughs> cannot stand it when people sing. I mean, it, most um, most streaming services have have a skip intro feature. No, no, this is just before that time. Sorry, this is before that time. <laughs> <laughs> this was uh, like two years ago. Okay. So, yeah. Sure, yeah. So X-Men Evolution is a uh, show that I haven't seen since I was like, you know, maybe six or seven. Uh, it's a X-Men TV series from the early 2000s. It ran from, I think, 2000 to 2003. Um, it is a version of the X-Men where uh, they are all students at not only the Xavier Institute where they live, um, but also are attending a regular high school uh, as well. And the, the Xavier school stuff is is mostly like extracurricular. This is like um, my, my gym partner is a, is a, is a monkey, <laughs> right? It is completely unlike that in every sense. <laughs> no, it's like that because... <laughs> Wild pull though. It's like what if the X-Men went to the wrong human high school by accident? <laughs> <laughs> I have to make human friends. It's, well, it's, it's on purpose. Um, the the TV series, at least the first two seasons, well, take clear. place. Daniel in, Daniel in... does not get a transfer. Therefore, up to a point, it's not. <laughs> a you know what I mean? I'm true. not sure if he tried. Actually, true, true, true. Uh, let's assume he did. Wow, I am I am never expecting my Jim Bar my Jim Bardner is a monkey references in my life ever. <laughs> You always manage to bring them to me, Nick. Because they're funny. <laughs> so back to X-Men Evolution. It's um, it's this setup where we have the kids uh, going to a regular human high school. This The show is set for the first two seasons before the world at large like knows anything about mutants. Uh, so really, a lot of the, the, the tension there is derived from, you know, oh, we're going to get discovered using our powers, but we have to stop the bad guys, which, you know, in the early episodes is often... Magneto or the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants related. Um, the Brotherhood in the show are a, a group of, of nasty teens that hang out. Uh, uh, also, the high school. Yeah, <laughs> they hang out in this shitty house. The mystique. Wait, what totally artificial setup. Like, why don't they just go to mutant school? What is go Yeah, that this is the wild thing about the first two seasons of the show is that like they they give it like this really weird setup. And then they spend a lot of time like reverse engineering the normal X Men setup from that in the later seasons. Weird. 
because eventually like you know a good chunk of the cast graduate uh in season three um you know they, they're uh the mutants are revealed to the world at the end of season two uh you know mystique who is originally the principal in the show like that plot line is completely dropped that's really funny <laughs> yeah it's, it's like it's like it's actually quite it's like what if the x-men went to high school but for no reason <laughs> yeah it's 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 very early 2000s I, I haven't seen degrassi but it strikes me as the kind of thing that degrassi would be i don't know the uh, <laughs> it's like this canadian sitcom about high schoolers um degrassi. so the thing about the show is that for the first couple seasons it's fairly awful but in in relatively charming ways uh where you can say oh well this that's, is that's like uh, in- that's what i always tell the ladies <laughs> Sorry, as you were. So it's it's incredibly early two thousands. Uh, it has you know some some wild music. Some characters are like just the weirdest of cliches. Like this show, you know, commits uh, uh, actually quite a horrible sin, which is it makes me hate Kitty Pride. Uh, she's like a a weird valley girl in this show, and that's like never something she really breaks away from. Even like even in the much better later seasons. Weird. The strengths of the show, uh, which uh, I think it mostly shines later on, is that eventually, once it finally gets its footing, it's able to develop like some actually pretty interesting character dy- dynamics and plot lines. There's, um, you know, they they develop uh, a lot the relationship between Rogue and Nightcrawler and Mystique because they're all kind of, you know, Mystique is both of their mom, uh, and there's a point in the show in season four where uh, we think that Rogue has effectively killed Mystique. And it kind of drags on for, like, five episodes. And you start to think that, like, she actually did it. Which was kind of shocking to me. Uh, but she didn't do it. Um, she didn't, but she, like, intended to. Mm. Which still makes the character beat work. Okay. Essentially, at, at this point, uh, you know, something has happened to Bastique so that she's sort of frozen into a statue. Uh, and, and Rogue is having an argument with Nightcrawler, and she she pushes the the Mystique statue off a cliff, uh, and it breaks. Oh my god! Yeah. Uh, the show has a really solid grasp on certain characters. Uh, I I'm a big fan of its its Cyclops, which is kind of you know you know for 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 X Men media projects like the the quality of their Cyclops is kind of a metric for me uh hmm. and uh you know he he's extremely readable as that character um their professor xavier is actually pretty interesting especially in the later seasons when we get like hints that like oh this guy is actually making a lot of mistakes and in you know actively in the wrong in a lot of situations uh and that's really cool to me um i think this show does like suffer a little bit from occasionally having like disconnected b plots uh where sometimes we'll be dealing with like a serious issue uh that like you're genuinely invested in uh, and then we'll cut back to like the wacky hijinks that are happening back at the xavier institute uh with the new mutants and it's, it's uh incredibly jarring sometimes <laughs> uh, like there's an episode where where wolverine is uh you know he he runs into x23 this was actually the show she was created for uh, and she later got ported over through the comics. Oh, no. Um, and uh, she's actually got a couple strong episodes in the show. Uh, but uh, there's an episode where uh, uh, X-23 and Wolverine are, are infiltrating and taking down Hydra. And you're cutting between that, which is, like, genuinely pretty interesting. Uh, and then you have, like, Scott and Jean teaching a class at the Xavier Institute. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's, it's just very jarring. And it's something that I wish this show did less frequently. Anyway, I would say that X-Men Evolution is a pretty good show once it gets into it and it finds out what it wants to be, uh, which is a, a, a fairly, you know, character-focused piece that's, like, you know, still effectively for kids and is still, like, very much grounded in its era. Nick, you want to move on to the main event? Yes, I would. So today we are talking about the... Uh, DreamWorks movie How to Train Your Dragon, which came out, I think, over a decade ago at this point. Um, so, Nick, would you like to run down the plot real fast? Uh, yes. 
hiccup a a scrawny viking boy lives in in viking island and uh everyone else is tougher than him and he's not too happy also the vikings are at war with dragons because the dragons steal their sheep everyone yeah pretty much his uh his dad is like the 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 head of the village uh, uh which is called burke um there's a girl named astrid who is a a uh, very competent uh warrior uh who's like i guess still in viking school for want of a better term uh yeah you know it'd be funny if all these viking kids went to human school by accident <laughs> all right <laughs> not human school. regular middle school uh no high school wherever the x-men are and had to deal with that situation <laughs> that would be wild okay so uh, this movie actually has a really impressive uh like efficient opening uh, you, within like five minutes, you learn effectively everything you need to know about Hiccup, his world, and like his his motivations and his conflict. Uh, like, and that's pretty damn impressive. I agree. I think this this movie has just a really tight script, and I noticed it a lot more this time. Like that that opening yeah. monologue and just like the dialogue going on, it's just fast paced, effective, like funny, like clever. It's great. And just about everything comes back too. Which is, you know, especially effective for an animated movie, which, as we discussed with Frozen 2, are very difficult to make and often are on tight schedules. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I have I have some problems with the script later on, but generally it's like just a really solid piece. I mean, I think you can agree that like all the dialogue is very solid. Like, yeah, it's like a little corny, but like just the right amount and like lots of things come back and like, I don't know, I, I really like the dialogue. Yeah, actually, to to get an incredibly minor gripe out of the way, uh, I did you notice while watching this film that the animation is, at least to me, a little dated? I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, but... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I noticed it a little. You know, the, the, the composition is very good, but there, there, are, there are textures uh, that feel low quality, and, like, the lighting uh, makes it so that the humans look just a little uncanny at times and that's something that i can't really say about like contemporary movies like wally um i mean i think if you go back and watch like even wally like like it's just that animation improves so much every year that it's it's like hard to go back and like you know watch older i mean did it like for me like i noticed it a little bit it definitely didn't distract me from the like distracting me for like a couple moments when i don't think i don't think it sufficiently like took me out of the story and it's something that I think uniquely applies to the human characters. I didn't feel this way all, at all about um, about the dragons or the environments. I, oh, I think it's I just environments. That... Hmm? It was just the environments for me. Okay. There was I else. felt that there were, were there were some shots where you could kind of see where, uh, I mean, it felt like the the, the people we were looking at. Uh, you know, this is this is a bad definition because of course they are, but um, they they looked digitally composited in a way that like didn't quite sell me on the, their their uh their realness yeah okay not a problem i had sometimes i looked at the backgrounds and i was like oh zoo tycoon you're back um <laughs> some rocks and stuff but it's cool i mean it, it always goes like this like with animation yeah. it's weird because like 2d animation doesn't do that at all um so in a way it lasts. yeah i mean I, th- I think it's a it's a new technology um and uh we we've had all of human existence to refine the art of drawing uh so yeah i guess uh, i don't know it's just like it always seems like you know the tech's improving yeah yeah you think it's gonna like uh, peak at a point and then we'll be like well we've mastered it i don't know i I, th- I think there's a temptation to say that but like i i feel like it is difficult for like the layperson in situations like these to imagine uh, technology advancing very far beyond where they are, uh, where where or where it is, because yeah. there are there are things for me where like I can look at a movie like Frozen Two and I can say, wow, I can't imagine an animated movie looking better than that. Um, right, I see and, what you're saying, but like, like it, I mean, in my in my worldview, it's like it's always improving. And like when I went to see How to Train Your Dragon or any other animated film, I was like, wow, this looks great. You know, like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I agree. So it's like I don't know. It's I, I can't complain about the animation. This is a this is a very minor complaint for me. Anyway, 
uh, yeah, I mean, I remember enjoying this movie, but I didn't remember enjoying it this much. This was like a really fun surprise for me. Um, yeah. Um, like, like I said, like, I mean, I think just all the characters, like, especially Hiccup comes across really well just in the beginning. Like that opening monologue was like, whoa, like you got me. Like, I like the way that he describes everything as a joke. He's like, what does he say? He, Burke is, is, is north of giving up hope and like south of freezing to death. Something like that. I thought that was yeah, hilarious. very similar to that. Yeah. Um, and then I like the way that he, at the beginning, is making fun of himself. He's like, what? I'm, I'm a big, you know, you're going to keep this raw Vikingness contained? I thought that was hilarious. Uh, he has this great line where he's like, I see a dragon and I just have to kill it. It's who I am, dad. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's great. I mean, it's, it's good to have a main character who sort of like, you know, can joke around and like is cheeky in that way. Like I like that he's like the, the the outcast of like the teenagers, but he's not like shy or like scared. You know what I mean? He's just like he just doesn't fit in. Um, he is he is a little shy towards towards Astrid, but that's only because they have a, a yeah, but he, kind of weird romantic arc. Like he, he he goes and tries to talk to her though. You know what I mean? Like it's not like he's yeah, like, but he he fumbles it. He's he's nervous about it. Sure, he's you know you know what I mean. He's not like yeah yeah I I get you. Like he's normal for the most part. Like he talks to like his boss. Well, not his boss. I don't know. Gobber. He talks to his yeah his boss, his, his carpentry boss, and he like totally jokes around. You know what I mean? Like even his dad. Like he's sarcastic. I don't know. I enjoy those yeah. things. I really appreciate how how through Hiccup like this movie engages with uh, just the subject of masculinity, uh, because Hiccup's like trajectory and like the 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 trajectory of the society really is based around like sort of, I think taking down some some pretty toxic ideas about how like you know, personhood and especially like manhood is defined by like violence, uh, and like Hiccup's whole evolution as a character is in opposition to that. Uh, which I think is really cool because it's essentially like his his compassion and his his ingenuity that that make him like a compelling character. Like that's the thing that that lets him, uh, uh, you know, uh, align himself with Toothless, and it's also the thing that uh, you know saves the movie. Really, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's two big things in this movie. It's like you know Hiccup's relationship with, with sort of new ideas and himself, and like you know being confident in himself, which is like with Toothless and like training him. Uh, on the other side is like his dad and like wanting his dad's approval and both of those relationships are just like really well done in my opinion like i feel the stakes of both um i think a good moment to like zone in on this is like when toothless is like going to kill well you know not really but like is gonna kill his his dad the hiccups dad stoic like in, in the arena they're like in a fight because you know they don't know about each other i guess and hiccups like no i don't kill each other which is like normally like a bit of a cheesy dip, like, ah, oh, you know, two guys are going to fight each other and the hero's got to like come between them and hold his, to his arms up. He doesn't actually do that. But like, like in this case, like you feel the stakes, you feel like the dad's like, ah, oh, dragon, I got to like kill it. And like, you, I don't know. You yeah, understand we're, we're so time. sold on, on Hiccup as a character and his, his uh, commitment to like uh, sort of, you know, this, this not even ideology, but just like, kind of way of going about life uh that he learns over the course of the movie um that you know it's just, it's just kind of perfect in a way like like i just really admire how you know there there is some slight evolution he goes through at the beginning um where you know he he goes from from wanting uh to to like fit into this uh, uh, Viking mold of being like a, a, a violent person mm -hmm. uh, and like essentially like the, the all of his major character development is at the beginning where, where he's befriending Toothless and learning like about him and about uh, the world as it actually works and not how he's been like taught it works like there's this great line where later on where, where uh, uh, he's talking to Stoic uh, and and uh stoic is like the the dragons have killed hundreds of us and hiccup is like yeah but we've killed thousands of them <laughs> uh and it's it's really interesting uh yeah i mean i'd say that hiccup you know goes through a whole thing in this movie throughout the movie i think that he's looking for his dad's approval 
you know, fall farther into that movie. And like, you know, not necessarily, like he's, yeah, he's accepted sort of that part of himself, but he's not, he's not shown it to everyone in the same way that he needs to in the rest of the movie. Um, Yeah, sorry, I I misspoke. I meant like that sort of component. (laughs) Yeah, Um, but uh, something that works really well for me is like, this is a pretty, I mean, you know, you can sort of see where this is going, even if you're watching it for the first time, where it's like, oh, he's got to win his dad's approval and his dad's not going to approve and like misunderstand, you know, you can see where that's going throughout. But when I was watching this again, you really feel the stakes of it. Um, I, I For me, this time, the most powerful, maybe not the most powerful, but yeah, okay. Yeah, the most powerful scene in this movie for me is like Stoic comes in and thinks that Hiccup has now become like a great, you know, I guess let's say oh, what yeah. we're using, dragon trainer, um, when in fact Hiccup is you know, using his, his knowledge of, Befriending dragons to, to win the competition, the dragon competition. Uh, <laughs> like I'm like he's like, so so excited that it's like it's plain like you can you can just see like even though before he wasn't like I'm disappointed in you, like you can see that he sort of was harboring those feelings and like did want Hiccup to fit this mold. Um, and yeah. He, and the, the line that you know hits me in this is like, he sits down. He's like, now we finally have something to talk about. That's what his yeah. dad says to him. And it was like, I was like, oh man, like I didn't even notice that the first time, you know, first when I watched it when I was a kid and like this time I was like, that hits. Like Nick, I, w- I was about to mention that line. It's so a, good. What a devastating line. Like, yeah. Cause it, I don't know. It's like, it's like, it's like when your, your friend breaks up with the girl and then you're like, ha, oh, good, good, good man. We hated her. Like she sucked. Like she, she picked her nose all the time. And then they get back together. It's like that. It's like you shouldn't have said that. Yeah, I, that's a, I guess an apt metaphor. It's yeah. It's, it's exactly it's exactly that. Um, like you shouldn't be overexcited when there's a change because it might not be real. I guess I don't know. Like you shouldn't. I mean, but it's also such a, a striking. I mean, just for the the dramatic irony of it, it's it's. Well, the point I was trying to make when I got distracted is that. You, you feel the power of the those those two characters it's stoic and hiccup um because like it, it just gets really real in those moments and like you know yeah. the climax of this conflict later is like you're not my son it's like whoa like i felt that i don't know mm-hmm. like this this movie takes a lot of like pretty basic ideas and like just does them really really well like okay hiccup bonds with the dragon like that's you know it's not like revolutionary but the way they do it is just beautiful it's so the, the the bonding scenes in particular are are slow paced enough that you really get a sense of how this relationship is developing and how he's learning things about the world and about dragons, um, which is just really cool. And one of the things that I love is like in the scene where they're they're finally like like flying together because Hiccup has like built a, a, a Toothless's um, you know tail is is uh, injured and so one of the the wings i suppose on it is tailwings. Um, let's call them sorry let's call them tail wings tail wings sure um <laughs> yeah one of one of those has been uh sliced off basically um and so hiccup builds a, a a construct um to to fix it and they we go through this whole sequence of him building that and and uh them testing it together hmm? he's an invention little... sure yeah sorry <laughs> Um, and one of the one of the greatest parts of that, parts of that scene is uh, in the moment when they're finally flying. Hiccup has this little cheat sheet that he's using, uh, and uh, the moment when they finally succeed and truly like work as a unit is when he throws it away. Like it's it's a very small uh, piece of the moment, uh, but he he lets go of the cheat sheet and like that lets him become sort of the 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 you know, the person he needs to be. And it's also, that's kind of him, uh, I think symbolically kind of rejecting uh, the society that like he's grown up in to some extent. I agree. I agree strongly. I thought that was, I've noticed that this time too. It's funny how much it's good. I I like that there's, you know, kids movies like this where you, you can go back and enjoy it so much more as an adult person. Yeah. Side note, I'm, I'm, you know the the movie like its score from for me is mostly like serviceable 
Uh, but the the music they use in that scene and also at the end, I think it's like victory music is like incredibly strong. Yeah, the main theme's great. It's yeah. good. Yeah, they use it in the other movies too, so it's like familiar to me. Really great, really great stuff. Um, yeah. So, it's it's a great movie. It's great. It's great. What are your problems with it, Joe? Let's hear it. Got okay, it. Okay, so I yeah. I think the they they mainly center around the final fight scene i think that it generally has some really cool visuals um like with the the giant dragon storm through the clouds uh i like the the ticking clock near the end of like toothless's tail construct catching fire and uh you know him falling towards the ground because that's like a great use of kind of this it's not even a chekhov's gun but it's something that was set up earlier in the movie and they're not going to leave that box unchecked which is really cool um, one of the things that I have a problem with is that I don't, I'm not really sold on the idea that we have to kill uh, the the big dragon in order for the climax to to be considered a victory. You think we should have killed uh, the dragon? I mean, it seems to me that what the rest of the film is building towards, and even like the the beginning of that scene, is that the Vikings are are pretty much entirely the aggressors. Like, and there there, it seems to me that. If Hiccup's uh, conflict and, and his his uh, ethos were be, to be fully realized, and I think he would have found a more peaceful solution to this problem instead of just killing this dragon, when the rest of the movie is framed around the idea that this conflict doesn't need to exist. Um, that's true, and I think I was thinking about this something similar when I was watching it. This movie sort of treats that big dragon as like not a dragon. Like, if you stop thinking about that big dragon as a dragon, you're good. Um, sure, but, like, that know, seems like a, no, a, a pretty big contrivance that the audience would have to make. No, no, I know what you're saying. Like, it is a dragon, but um, the way they set it up a little bit earlier is that, like, it's the source of the conflict because it needs to eat so, so much, and that's why the dragons need to steal the sheep. You know what I mean? That's something they sort of set up earlier. I, I'm not saying, like, I'm not justifying it, like I get what you're saying, but, like... I think at the end of this movie, that's just, like, the big bad thing that's, like, just needs to explode. I don't know. Sure, yeah. I, I mean, I, I understand that. I understand that as a piece of, like, film writing and how that is, like, you know, a thing that kind of needs to happen in a kid's movie. But I would have appreciated this movie so much more if it didn't have that because it goes above and beyond in, like, pretty much every other respect. Um, and also, there, there's a line earlier where where even disregarding all the, the thematic stuff that we have, uh, Hiccup uh, is is in the arena and he's he he's basically being forced to kill a dragon, uh, and and uh, he doesn't do it and he 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 says to the dragon, "I'm not one of them," like gesturing at like all the other Vikings, uh, which is like this really uh, impactful moment, um, and it's it's weird to me that like basically the final thing he does in this movie is kill a dragon. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's my problem with that. Yeah, it makes sense. I see what you're saying. Um, I guess, you know, I could say that he uses his new friendship of dragons to help save the day. Um, yeah, that's true. Um, it's, so it's there's that. But I just wish, the, I, I suppose I wish the bigger threat were something other than just a bigger dragon. Okay, well, if it was a dinosaur instead. <laughs> <laughs> see. I, I, maybe like a natural disaster instead of like a, a living being. Yeah, like a volcano. Like if it was a volcano. Sure, yeah. maybe something that would be solved by cooperation with dragons. Yeah, it doesn't fit with the with the hunting the dragons thing, which is what Stoke's up to. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I could criticize this movie for uh, is that I am less impressed with the romance aspect. I I think that like Astrid is compelling as like this counterpoint to Hiccup, at least at first, because she's this person who totally buys into Viking society and like she excels in that environment, unlike him. So she's like, you know, being given uh, this this world uh, that, that she's basically built for. Um, whereas, so so she doesn't really have an excuse to, to, to run away from it like Hiccup would, mm -hmm. um, which he tries to at one point. Um, that said, I, I, I don't really by her transformation um, as someone, at least not as easily as it is, as someone 
who is like on the side of the dragons because uh, like there, there are some lines of dialogue later on that that do indicate that like she's still a little skeptical about like some of the stuff hiccup is up to but like really she's on his side after the scene where she discovers uh toothless and they do their uh you know whole new world riff <laughs> um I, I i sort of disagree i mean the the whole idea is that like it's sort of built on a lie like yeah i just i i guess what i would have liked is more resistance uh on her part uh i think that would have made her maybe more compelling is if we saw her her kind of resist uh uh hiccups new notions here because he's basically like upending her entire worldview uh and that's like not something we really see from her she's just like "Mm, okay (laughs) like she's accepting yeah, that's true. I also, you know, after that scene, she 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 kisses him on the cheek, which is a little weird because they don't actually have that much romantic tension prior to that. Um, yeah, I mean, one way to think about it is that, like, hey, that magic carpet ride was like really pretty, and like watching that scene, like you feel the thing. So maybe Astrid does too. Like, I don't know. Um, I'm pretty okay with it because. Well, I don't care that much. Um, and I think that she kissed him because he took her on a nice dragon ride. And uh, it was pretty. So. Sure, I fine. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, look, there's like five other teenagers on the island, man. You know. True. She's probably just horny. Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> like, you know, one of them's an asshole. One of them's a twin. Like, Hiccup seems like a good option. I don't know. <laughs> what are you saying about twins? Oh, um... <laughs> well, not real-life twins, but in this in this world, he always... That kid is an asshole. Huh? You don't need to call out him being a twin. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Like, he's part of a pair that, like, always hangs out. Like, in real life, oh my God. twins don't actually always hang out. But in this movie, <laughs> the twins always hang out. And like, you know, our, our... I forgot to mention the the, the kid that always no, makes they're like one references. dragon. Right? They're part of one essence, huh? You forgot to mention the uh, the kid that always makes D and D references. <laughs> the nerd. Oh yes, the nerd. <laughs> he does does do that. I, I want to end on uh, a more positive note, which is um, there's this one great scene in the the middle of the movie when he's going through like a, a tome of uh, of dragons of dragon facts. Um, <laughs> And and it's it's really impactful because the the book basically lists every every dragon is like you know a huge threat. Uh, the note is like kill on sight. Um, and there, while dangerous. he's doing that, he's, he's flipping through the he's flipping through the book really fast. Uh, and there are these great like designs that you see in there, and that really struck me because there's just some really cool art design in this movie. Uh, I agree. I think all the dragon designs are really really cool. Yeah, that's like Stokes Beard. I think and the island. I I I haven't seen the sequels to this movie. Yeah. I I haven't seen the third one at all. I haven't seen the second one since it came out in like 2014. Uh, but you know, I I, I from what I remember, I think the human character designs improve. Uh, but the dragon ones are strong from the outset. Yeah, I think the other movies, the second one, I don't remember, but I don't think it's nearly as good as this. I remember enjoying that one. I think it's good, but I think when you watch that one, you had already forgotten about the brilliance of the first one. Sure. That's my theory. The third one's just bad. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. <laughs> um, you want to move on? Well, actually, as resident uh, dragon dragon fan, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta say that the stats, the attack stats, the the book, a lot of the designs. Well, not a lot of the designs, but the the book and the stats of like the dragons. Uh, is is a book reference, and uh, my segue was that, <laughs> and and now I'm going to tell you that the books are great, and if you're a child, if you are a small child who will still maybe enjoy them, um, you should go enjoy them because they're great, um, and I enjoyed them growing up, and I think they influenced my art style, probably. Now that I think, yeah, of I it. can see that. I was thinking about that earlier because I was I was looking up X Men Evolution. I was like, oh, that's where Joe learned how to how to do his thing. 
Um, right. I remember, um, you know, one of the first times that you looked up that show, um, yeah. you said, wow, Joe, <laughs> I yeah. see this now. And I was thinking about how, how, how Bennett does it from, from Hellboy. And I was like, oh, what's my thing? And I couldn't remember. And now I just remembered. The books are great. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. That really yeah. tracks. If you're a little, little child. I, actually, I blame those books because the art's not great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you go look up the art, you'll laugh. Um, anyways, if you're a small child, because I think we're past the age where we can enjoy it. But they're great books, great, 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 great books. And they're, like, totally different, like, really different. Um, I mean, there's dragons, but, like, the way things play out is super different. And it's, like, just a great adventure. Awesome books. Sorry, I can't stress that enough. Okay, I'm done. Yeah, nice. You want to move on? Um, I do. So today, Nick, uh, as we do every week, we're talking about uh, an, an internet conspiracy. Uh, this one is something that I'm calling the mystery of Gidus. Uh, so last week we talked about a book that prominently features high stakes internet mysteries. So today I, I figured we'd talk about a relatively low stakes real life one. Um, as a preface, I got most of my information from either the uh, Gidus subreddit or WBUR's Endless Thread podcast, which I uh, which did actual investigative research on the subject uh, i heavily recommend checking out both uh, as i'm going to basically be regurgitating information here for the sake of novelty uh, and also communicating to my friends here uh, cool so so uh, a few years back this comedian uh nate fernald uh finds a whole bunch of old pins of this this brown furry cartoon character named gitas uh on ebay permission uh, and he's intrigued uh, so he ends up buying a whole set of Gitas pins, about 90 of them, uh, and they're all from the same seller. Uh, the seller doesn't have, like, any more information about them. Uh, he was just selling a bunch of stuff he had gotten from someone else uh, who I, I think had passed away. Um, so I'm going to send you an image of, of Gitas in the Discord right now. Oh, I was looking up. One. That's what the clicking sounds are. Oh. Uh, how do you spell Gitas? Because I've been trying. Okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna send you pictures of the pin and of the the official artwork of Gidus. Gidus, 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 Gidus. <laughs> oh, fun. Okay, so can 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 you describe kinda this cool. character? <laughs> I kind of like it. <laughs> it looks like um Beetle's Yellow Submarine. A little. It's. I think it's Alf-like. You think it's what? Like Alf. I don't know what Alf is. Can you send a picture of that too? <laughs> <laughs> Alf is like this Muppet character from like an '80s TV show. I'll send you a picture. Please send me a picture of Alf. Oh, aha! Oh my God! <laughs> that is the ugliest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> All right. So anyway, uh, so so Gidus. So this this guy goes online, Nate, uh, and he asks around and finds out to try and find out who or what Gidus is, uh, because he can't dig anything up. Uh, and this, this whole community builds up of people who want to find out what Gidus is. Uh, so eventually someone gets back to him uh, with this image of a sticker sheet, uh, which has drawings of Gidus and presumably related characters on it. Uh, so I'm going to send you a picture of this. Okay. This is a very visual bit for our podcast. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I like it. Okay, so it, it's it's a bunch of different Dungeons and Dragons slash, in one case, Star Wars esque characters on mm -hmm. a on a sticker sheet. Um, the sheet is labeled Land of Ta. Um, <laughs> they, they're, they're not a. <laughs> so, presumably, Gidus belongs to the Land of Ta franchise, but the problem is that searching for that also produces no results. Wow. Uh, so no one knows what Land of Ta is. Uh, so there's a second sticker sheet uh, that shows up called The Women of Ta. Uh, this has a whole separate cast of characters on it. Hold on. This is uh, a company that made these stickers. Can't they ask? Well, I'm getting to that. Okay, okay. <laughs> so that's The Woman of Ta that I is just sent you. Which a female is, uh, uh, hmm? Why is there no female Gidus? <laughs> wow. Well, see, we don't know if Gidus is a species or if he's a dude. Well, we know he's not a woman, right? Did we know that? No, because then he would be on the women of Ta. Oh, you're correct. Um... <laughs> Gidus is a location. He's the land of Ta. 
<laughs> so the sticker sheets do have copyrights on them. As you mentioned, they, they were created by Denison in 1981. So Denison is based in Framingham, Massachusetts, uh, and they produce stickers and other brand products like that, or at least they did. Um, so maybe we can assume that Denison had created these sticker sheets for some kind of franchising opportunity. Uh, but that's a dead end uh, because Denison had licenses to print stickers of all sorts of brands, including Disney in the 80s. <laughs> so there was no reason for them to produce their own franchise. Okay. But did anyone so, have... <laughs> also, um, you know, one at least one of these characters is a knockoff C-3PO. Uh, <laughs> Clearly. Which would... Uh, <laughs> You know, make it difficult to, to actually produce like a, a television series or something. Um, so one guy on the Gita subreddit, uh, which is at this time pretty huge, uh, he gets in touch with the Framingham History Center, which has a catalog of old Denison products. Uh, this guy, uh, he goes by Rowdy Wrongdoer on Reddit, uh, and he finds that the first sticker sheet uh, with Gitas went by Land of Ta Eric within the company. That's Eric with a K. <laughs> Wait, who is Land of Ta Eric? That's what the sticker sheet was labeled like internally within the company. Okay, okay, that's funny. Who's <laughs> <laughs> Eric? Next. Well, I don't know. <laughs> so the problem is, uh, everybody hit a dead end here uh, because the people at the Framingham History Center couldn't really dig up anything more than that. They didn't know the names of the people who made these sticker sheets. Uh, they didn't know where the pins came from. Uh, they ask us. They, they sorry. Uh, they ask like as many old. Denison employees from like the, the 1981, 1982 time period as they can, but like no one has any knowledge of this. Uh, so this is where the podcast comes in. The WBUR Endless Thread podcast comes in. Uh, they get in contact with a higher up at Denison uh, from whom they figure out that uh, two things. One, that the TA sticker sheets were probably designed by freelancers uh, as Denison often outsourced those products. Two, uh, one person who used to work for Denison often referred to money as Gitas. Uh, so they, they, they get in touch with um, a guy named Tom Manguso, who was the art director of Denison in the 80s. Uh, he doesn't recognize the sticker sets, but his son does. Um, and he says that the Land of Tawan is likely the work of a guy named Sam Petrucci. Uh, so unfortunately, Sam Petrucci is, is passed away. Damn. Uh, he passed away in 2013, but he had five kids. And one of them, Lisa Petrucci, is able to find the original pencil sketches for the Land of Ta sticker cheat, the one with Gitas on it, uh, in his old files. Um, so we know that, that Sam Petrucci made one of these, uh, probably not the other, as it seems to be a different art style. And we also don't know where the pins came from, and we don't know why any of this was created and why there's no documentation of it. There is a pin. There are like ninety pins. Ninety of that pins. Ninety of that pin produced. It's good. <laughs> wow, that's kind of wild. Wait, yeah. this guy just—he just drew the stickers. So that means he designed the stickers and then made his own stickers. Is that it? Well, he was—he was freelancing for the company. So someone hired him to make Land of Toss stickers. Possibly, we don't—we don't know why they were created. <laughs> do know that they were created <laughs> so basically this is only a sticker thing this is like a sticker franchise of two sticker sets yes okay well maybe that's like standard i don't know okay cool i just wanted to share with you this this very strange no i got very story. invested thank you yeah <laughs> i really like this gitas thing he looks so happy <laughs> i'm glad okay um, Nick, I yeah. believe you have a, a wise quote for us. I do. This one comes comes uh, comes to us from the wisest of all wise souls. It's from uh, Uncle, our Uncle Ira. Okay. Great. All right, you know this one. Pride is not the opposite of shame, but its source. True humility is the only antidote to shame. Nice. Thank you for listening to Out of Our Heads, a pop culture podcast from minds of Joe Bortner and Nick Protopapas. You can contact us at outofourheadspod at gmail.com. My Twitter handle is at joby underscore draws. You can read my webcomic, Aeronaut, at jobydraws.com. That updates every Monday and Friday. As always, Nick has nothing to promote. Uh, we'll be back next week. In the meantime, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. It would really help the show. Bye.
And I don't actually know anything about that show, but it's like, you can bring it up whenever it's like, oh, this person got sent to the wrong place. And like, now they have to deal with the situation. Yeah. I watched maybe like two episodes of that show. Uh, like probably one of the first shows I watched on Cartoon Network and I, I, I swiftly dropped it, but like, oh. because it was one of the first shows I watched on that channel, it like stuck with me. Oh, that's funny. Hey, um, here's a random question. Um, sorry about that. Do you know the, do you know that, I don't know when the show came out. Do you know the show about a skunk, I think, doing Kung Fu? Not at all. Ah, crap. I think it came out during like Kung Fu Panda era. And I don't, like, I want to believe it. You know, when, you know, there was this bit actually in, um, in American Gods, which I talked about a while on the podcast. There was a bit in that where they're like, TV shows you don't watch, you end up watching the same episodes of, um, I agree. And I, I watched the same episode of the Skunk Kung Fu TV show many times. And I just don't remember, like, I don't, I don't think I've ever talked to anyone else about this show. So I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying to like find someone who knows it or like, I don't even know what to look up. Like Skunk Kung Fu. Oh, it's called Skunk Fu. I, I could have. Yeah. <laughs> Oh boy. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut this part, but I'm gonna put it as an end tag. 